Green Sense Show is sponsored by CEA Technology, providing a sustainable modular indoor growing system. Visit CEATECHN.com to learn more. I'm Robert Colangelo, and this is Green Sense, where we bring you eco innovations that are changing your world. Maria Gallucci is a clean energy reporter at Canary Media, where she covers hard to decarbonize sectors and efforts to make the energy transition more affordable and equitable. She recently wrote an article on the quest to eliminate carbon emissions from steel production and joins us now. Maria, welcome to the Green Sense Show. Hi, thank you for having me. Well, we've had several of your colleagues on the show uh, and they talked about the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act, and uh, we really enjoyed their objective coverage of the issue, and we look forward to hearing about uh, your article. So give us a brief, brief overview of Canary Media and the stories that you cover. Sure. So Canary Media is a nonprofit newsroom uh, focused on covering the clean energy transition. The, the piece that I wrote on steel was part of a bigger package of stories that we did on what we call the tough stuff, these hard to decarbonize industries. Uh, we focused on steel, cement, and chemicals because they are the top three emitting industries in terms of CO2 emissions, and they're particularly tricky to decarbonize. So we wanted to focus on the challenges, but also the solutions that are being developed to start reducing emissions from those industries. Well, the steel industry is historic. It shaped America. It's an important driver of the U.S. economy. It's a national security concern, and it's a legacy-heavy uh, industry. It's, it's a very hard business. It requires a lot of land, capital, and it's slow to embrace change. So I'm happy to hear that they are making change in this area. In simple terms, steel is made from iron ore, which is mined and then turned into steel, either using a blast furnace or an electric arc furnace. In writing your article, you did a very deep dive into the steelmaking process. Uh, tell us about that experience and what you learned. Sure. So uh, you're right. Uh, Steelmaking begins with iron ore, which is in the United States. Most of that is mined in Minnesota. And uh, for you know over a century, most of the steel industry's history, the way to turn that into iron has been to um, put it through a blast furnace using purified coal, which is called coke and limestone and extreme heat. And all of these processes create chemical reactions that essentially remove the oxygen from the iron ore and you have pure molten iron at the end of it. And then that iron moves through the steel making process, which makes it high strength. Uh, you can add other elements to it as well to make it corrosion resistant, uh, stainless steel is another product. So I wanted to look at uh, sort of how steel is made today and what some of the, um, the more promising solutions are. So I, I visited Detroit, Dearborn, Michigan, which has both a uh, large steelmaking industry and automotive industries. The uh, car sector is one of the biggest customers for steel. And I talked with uh, communities who are affected by the air pollution that comes from those facilities. And I also traveled to Arkansas where U.S. Steel operates its Big River Steel complex. It's, it's enormous. And that's where they use scrap steel or scrap metal and run it through an electric arc furnace, which they describe as, you know, basically subjecting it to lightning bolts of electricity to melt the scrap back into steel. And that process can reduce emissions uh, by 75% compared to traditional steel making. 
As I mentioned, steel's a very dirty industry. It uses coal. It uh, use, mines that taconite up there in uh, Minnesota, and they turn it into the iron ore. What pollutants are generated by the steel making process? Yeah, I, I didn't. There's kind of a toxic soup of, of pollutants: lead, manganese, um, sulfur dioxide, nitrogen oxides. Uh, there's a lot of heavy metals, um, and the the challenges for these communities that are uh, kind of coexisting with these steel plants is that they're exposed to a lot of air pollution. These these pollutants uh, from steel and other industries can contribute to cancer, but they certainly can contribute to uh, respiratory diseases like asthma. And U.S. American steel companies have paid hundreds of millions of dollars in fines to start to clean up these facilities, but they still are, are significant sources of air pollution. Why does steel uh, produce so much carbon emissions? The majority of carbon emissions from steel making come from that blast furnace process that I was talking about, where you're not only consuming a lot of coal or natural gas to generate extreme heat, you're also consuming these, this coke, the purified coal, in that chemical process, which is releasing CO2. And the vast majority of emissions come from that component. So the thinking is if you can figure out how to eliminate the blast furnace, or clean it up, you would remove a significant source of steel's emissions. Let's get into the good part. Uh, how is the U.S. steel industry, how is U.S. steel greening up the steel industry at their new plant in Arkansas? You talked about a visit earlier. Let's let's get into what they're doing on a positive level. Right. So the American steel industry is, really, is kind of unique compared to the rest of the world. 70% of our steel production comes from melting scrap and electric arc furnaces, which is like the one that I visited in Arkansas, and 30% come from using these blast furnace and basic oxygen furnaces. So the U.S. is really leading on using scrap metal in electric arc furnaces uh, to, to produce steel. The challenge is that it doesn't totally eliminate the need for what's called primary steel, so sort of non-recycled steel. But uh, over the last few decades, because the U.S. is, you know, a, a wealthy, uh, big consuming country, we've generated a lot of scrap metal and have developed infrastructure for collecting that and recycling it. And so um, now there are about 100, more than 100 electric arc furnaces like the Big River Steel facility, although they're not, it's not all apples to apples, but they, you know, there are uh, 100 or so of those and only 12 of the blast furnaces. Hmm. Well, well, I live in Northwest Indiana. We're surrounded by steel mills, and they're they're vacuous uh, places. They they consume large amount of lands. They take large capital investments. Um, I have no idea what a blast furnace costs, but I'm sure it's a tremendous investment. And it takes does it take a lot of money to swap out that technology? It does. And what what's interesting is that the the these blast furnaces are already decades old. So companies are already sort of at this crossroads of will they invest hundreds of millions of dollars to upgrade their existing blast furnaces, give them new life. Uh, it's a process called relining because it involves relining the furnace, the bricks in the furnace, or will they use those hundreds of millions of dollars to invest in new technologies? And another option that I didn't describe yet is called uh, direct produced iron. So that uses, uh, potentially could use hydrogen produced from renewable energy, what we call green hydrogen, to 
to remove the oxygen from iron ore in the same way that blast furnaces do. So that's another potential solution. You could use hydrogen to reduce iron ore and then melt that iron ore or melt that iron rather in a electric arc furnace. And that's sort of what's being held up as the ideal for green steel making right now. Why is U.S. Steel making this big investment? Are are they an outlier or are, are they on the tip of the green steel making sphere? U.S. Steel is, I believe they're making this big investment in, in Big River Steel, their Arkansas facility, as part of what they call their uh, best of both strategy. So trying to do what they can to improve efficiency or reduce emissions at their coal-based facilities while also expanding the footprint of these electric arc furnaces. But actually, the country's largest steel supplier is Nucor, and they only operate these electric arc furnaces. But another challenge, I suppose, with um, or consideration with electric arc furnaces is that they also consume huge amounts of electricity. So the goal for these companies is to make sure that more of that electricity is coming from wind and solar, nuclear, other carbon-free sources instead of uh, coal-fired power plants or gas plants. Steel prices vacillate, uh, and that greatly impacts the steel industry's profitability. And it also impacts their ability to make capital investments in new technology like you're talking about. What will it take to get the steel industry to make a large capital investment to green up their processes? I think a a major driver will be demand from their customers uh, and customers potentially willing to pay a slightly higher price, what's called a green premium for steel that's made using cleaner production methods. There's a lot of a lot of environmental groups are starting to put pressure on automakers to demand more green steel because they consume so much and because uh, auto the auto industry can actually absorb this green premium better than other sectors. So that I think will be a big signal. What's challenging right now is that uh, there's a lot of interest, but more effort needs to be done to sort of translate into that, that into real action and, and kind of real orders from these uh, big consumers. Public pressure is good, but at the end of the day, a company exists to make a profit for shareholders. Does a green investment make them more profitable? Well, it, it I guess it depends what uh, that that um, raises the question of re- of regulation. So, in the United States, uh, we don't have a, a kind of a, a price or a penalty of any kind on carbon emissions, but there is one in Europe, and that's actually driving a lot of activity around green steel making. And so that in a way, so there's sort of a, the question of, do you incentivize greener production, including through government subsidies, other programs, or do you penalize dirty production? And and in that way, you know, push companies toward reducing emissions. And that's a big policy piece that's missing in the United States right now. Well, in your article, you state that the global producing, uh, globally producing steel generates as much as 9% of human-caused CO2 emissions every year, more than any other heavy industry, including cement and chemical production. Realistically, if the steel industry got together, how much CO2 emissions can the industry cut over, say, a five- or ten-year period? Oh, that's a good question. And I'm not sure I know the answer to it. I think there are certain certainly reductions that can be made now um, that would help, but I can't say to what extent. But that, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a 
big way to keep emissions from rising or to limit emissions would be to kind of turn off the tap on all of these new and proposed blast furnaces, especially in China and India. There are many projects, dozens of them in the planning stages or early construction phases that would significantly increase the industry's emissions. So kind of pivoting away from those plans would, would make a big difference. So when it t- comes to greening up the steel industry, is there a country out there that sets the bar that does it really well? And then how does the U.S. Uh, steel industry compare to that uh, that benchmark? I would say the most innovation around green steelmaking is happening in Sweden. The, there's a, a pilot plant uh, called Hybrid that's using green hydrogen, as I was, I was talking about, to reduce iron ore and pair it with an electric arc furnace. Uh, the Hybrid project is currently in the process of expanding to a more commercial scale demonstration plant. There's another major project underway by a company called H2 Green Steel, and they're doing this with a big support of the Swedish government uh, and with the European as European Union as well. And the United States does actually have three of these direct reduced iron facilities, but right now they're running on natural gas and there really isn't any infrastructure supply around green hydrogen. So those pieces really need to come into place as well in order for the U.S. steel industry to be able to clean up. Is there a way to make hydrogen on site rather than to transport it? Because that's one of the big challenges with hydrogen is getting the infrastructure to convey it. Certainly a a company could build electrolyzers, secure water, uh, and kind of produce their hydrogen that way through the electrolysis process. I'm not sure how much land that would require uh, or, you know, logistically, if it would make sense. That's also a big consideration is, is the steel plant necessarily near where these large renewable energy sources are, or do you still need to move it around? But but you're totally right. The supply chain, the logistics are a big complicating factor for hydrogen. Because when you look at these steel industries, they have tremendous railroad networks. They have tremendous coal reserves and deposits to run their uh, furnaces. And most of them are located on water. A lot of that taconite comes by boat. So you'd think they have all the elements in place and that could be an easy transition because waiting to get that hydrogen pipeline set up is going to take some time. <laughs> right. And it's a major chicken and egg, chicken and egg dilemma. How do you build a green steel plant if you don't have the hydrogen to run it? And so these things will definitely have to happen in tandem. Yes. And in your article, you cite that all told, decarbonizing iron and steel is expected to require $1.4 trillion of investment by mid-century. Will companies uh, be willing to pay for this change or do they need to be forced with the regulation stick or do they need to be incentivized with a carrot? You touched on that earlier. Uh, what are your thoughts? What's the best way to get this done? I, I think that it's probably all of those things. And I would note that the $1.4 trillion of investment, uh, it's these companies would still be needing to invest hundreds of billions of dollars anyway to upgrade their existing coal-based infrastructure to kind of maintain the infrastructure they have today. So it's um, kind of a question of where are they going to put that money? But I think, you know, the United States historically has not been keen on uh, these sort of stick-based policies. So I'm not sure that something like that would be politically feasible here, but uh, it seems to be moving the needle in Europe, at least when it comes to reducing emissions from industries. 
And as I mentioned, steel is a national security issue. You know, I know our plants around here get are highly uh, restricted to get into those, especially at times at war. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a touchy industry. Uh, and, and I agree with you. Maybe it needs a combination of both. But to me, what I found that really uh, creates real environmental change is when companies can profit off of doing the right environmental things. Any ideas or technologies out there that would help a company be more profitable and be more green? Well, there's another another initiative called Buy Clean Policies that are um, mostly driven by the federal government, also state governments, which are major consumers of steel, cement, other construction materials for the buildings and facilities that the government builds. And so they're starting to create these standards that uh, or qualifications rather for the suppliers. And potentially there could be a scenario where it is more profitable for a company uh, that bids on these projects to offer a greener product and they'll be a, they'll be more competitive. They'll be able to get these contracts for very large orders of steel, cement and other materials. Yes, that's the way I've seen things really change is if there's an incentive to make money and be green. Um, one of my concerns is that ultimately with steel being at the uh, the, the bottom of the supply chain, uh, impacting so many consumer goods, the, the, the individual is going to end up paying a higher price for all their goods based on some of these uh, uh, regulations that will be imposed. Thoughts on that? From what I've seen, the impact on the individual consumer would be pretty small because of just the way that the material is actually distributed. I uh, I, I wish I could remember this off the top of my head, but I remember for a car, it was a you know single digit increase for the car maker to use green steel, and so potentially the the um, impact on consumers would be much less. So I think by the time that it actually gets into you know your your stainless steel refrigerator or whatever the appliance is, the impact would be relatively negligible. It seems like we're at a tipping point in climate change and we're not moving fast enough. The steel industry is a big uh, emitter of, of uh, CO2. Can change happen quick enough to make an impact? That's a great question. I think uh, it really will depend on not just the steel industry making these investments, adopting these new technologies, but also, uh, as we've been talking about, the consumers, the, the government buyers, kind of everybody agreeing that we need these greener materials and that we should be paying attention to these industries that are maybe a little bit out of sight and out of mind. You know, road transportation cars, we many of us have them or, you know, see them on the street every day. So that's very front of mind. But I don't think a lot of people think much about the kind of concrete blocks in their walls or, you know, the steel beams in their buildings. But they're obviously a, a major part of the economy and of the uh, kind of the climate challenge. Well, another challenge for all big, heavy industries is it's very hard to site new facilities. Nobody wants a steel mill in their backyard. Nobody wants railroads in their backyards. Maybe if they're greener, they're easier to site. Did you look into that at all, siting new uh, facilities? I didn't look into the siting question, but I do know that there potentially um, new facilities could be built in on the same footprint. Um, I imagine that would require some demolition, but uh, and that's actually something that Green Seal advocates would like to see because that means that the 
the jobs, the workforce for these new facilities could potentially come from the existing workforce and that where there is already a rich culture and tradition of steelmaking, it can remain in place except using different methods. Well, I enjoyed reading your story. Is there anything else you'd like to add that we didn't talk about? Well, there's, there is some development on these sort of next generation steelmaking technologies that use other processes like uh, electrochemistry to do this, this complicated work of removing oxygen from iron ore. Uh, Boston Metal and Electra are two startups to watch in this space. They are kind of at the pilot plant phase of their technology, but if they can crack the code, they could make a very big difference Uh, potentially technologies that don't require green hydrogen, that don't require enormous amounts of renewable energy and kind of can free up those resources for other sectors. Well, Maria, I really enjoyed talking to you and I appreciate the uh, hard work you did to put that article together. And thank you for joining us on GreenSense. Yeah, thank you for having me. That's Maria Gallucci, the clean energy reporter at Canary Media. And she shares her insight on the article she wrote titled The Trillion Dollar Quest to Make Green Steel. I'm Robert Colangelo. Thank you for listening to Green Sense and check out the Green Sense Minute every Thursday and Saturday on 105.9 FM WBBM Chicago. Green Sense Show is sponsored by CEA Technology, providing a sustainable modular indoor growing system. Visit CEATECHN.com to learn more.